What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your concert photos, show reviews, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this uh, this evening? I'm doing pretty good, man. I uh, managed to have a night home alone. Well, kind of home alone. My kids are all asleep, but uh, it's like being home alone. Yeah, basically. So that... Uh, crippling fear of uh, responsibility comes in when one of them potentially makes a thudding noise when you're downstairs. I'm not really worried about that. <laughs> I guess it's like that commercial is, is really true. Uh, you know, your first child, you're all like worried about everything by like your second or third. You're like, eh, they'll live. Yeah, dude, totally. Like, it, and if you could illustrate that, I think there was a meme where a mom is like, has her has her first kid wrapped up in bubble wrap. Yeah. And by and by, like kid number two or three, she's just like dragging them behind him by their hair. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this episode's guest is uh Nick Biggie Grimaldi. Um. I guess this is, this really isn't that much of a surprise to have Biggie on the podcast. Um, obviously, being a huge ETID fan, I've been very aware of uh, Biggie for a long time from the Shit Happens DVDs. Um, actually, he had <laughs> uh, on the uh, I think it's the Party Poopers DVD from the uh, the Big Dirty uh, bonus DVD. They did a dodgeball tournament uh, for Paul Frank and uh, the clothing company from back in the day. And a bunch of bands were playing dodgeball. I think like uh, Bleeding Through was on there, and a handful of others. And they also had bands playing, and Hitsu was playing. And at one point, and it's always my favorite thing to just be like, like I, it, it so just encapsulates the like who gives a fuck kind of thing that I wish more people had seen the DVD because I, I sometimes will use this. Where he's like, the kids have spoken, and they want more to eat to. And he goes, fuck that. No one gives a fuck about the bands. They just want free food and free shit. <laughs> no doubt. And it's always been one of those things. Like I've always uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Plus the uh, his appearance in the Shit Happens DVD of the Pass Out Game. Uh, did you ever play that in your youth? Uh, no, definitely not. Do you know what the Pass Out Game is? No. Okay. Is it where you stuff so much shit in your mouth that you can't breathe? No, that's Gigi Allen. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's very amusing. Uh, also scary. Um, but it was it was fun watching it on on that DVD from over a decade ago. It's almost like the Pantera. I feel like the shit happens DVD is like the Pantera home videos for like hardcore kids. Yeah, yeah, very very similar vibe where it's like we're just gonna record a whole bunch of random shit and you're gonna love it. I just don't think people can do that anymore. I think that's half of it. Like you can't. Like I think about like CKY. Like I have the original CKY. Like when it first came out. And it's yeah. like so much of it is like just as it was. And I think a lot of it over the years has been like re-edited to like cut out things or blur out stuff. And it's like, man, it was kind of the fun of my youth is just like how freeing everything was. Like you could just be an asshole or be a dickhead to people. And it's like within reason, like it was fine. Yeah, I think uh, I think things have definitely changed as far as what people think are acceptable forms of entertainment. And people just being young people and doing crazy shit just for whatever reason rubs people the wrong way. Yeah, you know, everyone forgets that we were all youth at some point. Dude, no joke. Like, I'll be sitting there watching TV with my wife, and, like, I'll hear something outside, and I'll go look out the window, and it's like I'm definitely the old man now that, like, looks at the, And I'm like, oh, God, there's four teenagers walking down the street. Fuck. I, I Oh, man, I better have locked all my car doors. <laughs> uh, all of that aside, though... Uh, Biggie is someone that I've wanted to get on the podcast for a while. He, uh, like I said, is uh, basically a 
partner uh, over at Good Fight Entertainment, uh, management company. Manages such bands as Every Time I Die, Circus Survive, a uh, little band you might have heard of called Knock Loose, uh, Turnstile. Uh, I mean, list goes on and on and on. And uh, I mean, I think he's a pretty, pretty inspiring dude. Like if you follow him on Instagram, it's like. He is working out constantly. His his family works out <laughs> with these with themselves. Uh, like there will be times where he'll be doing like a gym session in his uh, garage, and his like daughter is like doing stuff, and you're just like starting them young on your uh, CrossFit lifestyle. Yeah, I can't relate. Like even a little <laughs> bit. Uh, that's a, that's a little rough for me, but uh, no, I, I think it's cool. Absolutely, and. Uh, I think that, you know, dude is so active and has done so many things. Um, I thought it was really interesting, the stuff you guys were talking about, about um, how he wasn't basically able to leave, or he wasn't, was it that he wasn't able to enter Canada? Yeah, he can't, <laughs> he couldn't get into Canada because he kept sneaking in from different vantage points. Eh. Uh, he actually just posted a, a thing where he was at, I think it's called Angel's Peak, uh, it's like a but like a mountainous area or whatever. I forget where exactly it is. Probably in California, but he was making a post and it was like him on one side and then you could see like the the canyon on the other side or whatever. And I go sneaking, trying to sneak into Canada. Like <laughs> I just imagine him. I just imagine him dressed up like a like a bank robber or something. You know, not no like like a prison inmate with like the black and white stripes and like sneaking under the fence to Canada. <laughs> Literally lifting up a, a non-existent fence to get into Canada, like it was an imaginary border. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, but this was a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, we we're almost at 200 episodes in. Uh, we like to kind of spotlight some behind-the-scenes people, and I think Biggie kind of represents a, a side of the industry that we haven't really had on. Um, we've had producers on. We've had you know publicists on. We've had producers on. But I don't think we've had a, a legit manager or artist manager on. And so, you know, something – I think has been kind of fun in the the journey of this podcast is to kind of highlight these areas of the music industry that maybe people like you and I who aren't musically inclined uh, can find other avenues to get into the music industry that if you're that passionate about it. And I think Biggie kind of shows a, a really good example of someone who, you know, just kind of, I'm not going to say fell into these things, but it was just kind of like when more opportunities presented themselves, he, he just took them on because it was almost like a, a I want a, a lack of uh, responsibility and I want to keep doing this thing and hanging with my friends on the road. And I mean, you look at a friend, like a friend of the show and my friend, uh, Frank Finelli, who actually just resurrected uh, the world we knew. And basically like his last show, he said like he did his last show had signed on to tour manage Bam Margera and went to play his last show, caught a flight to go back to start TMing and making more money than he ever did being in a band. And I think, you know, there's a lot of stories like that where people shift the perspective of what it is that they're into. And I think those that are passionate about music and are really serious about finding a career in it will be able to do that and understand that maybe maybe it's not being on the stage in front of the people, but there's plenty of ancillary things that you can do behind the scenes and still have a very wildly successful career in the industry. <laughs> no, totally. Like he, he's definitely accomplished quite a bit. And I like, uh, I, I like the parallels kind of between what we do and, and, and what people like him have done in that it, there's so much hustle. There's so much like having to just be on 24 seven that takes place because you can't miss an opportunity. You can't, uh, can't really call in sick either. Like it's, it, it's rough. And, uh, 
probably more rough for him than it is for us who, who sit here comfortably in our houses and do this. But um, I definitely uh, spend way more time, way way more time worrying about like podcast stuff than I should when I'm when I'm not at home. <laughs> and speaking of uh, missed opportunities, let's not miss the opportunity to jump into our conversation with Biggie, and we will talk to you guys afterwards. Well, I, I just didn't. I I just have learned in doing these things, like you know, sometimes you say something and then someone comes back and they're like, "You can't, like that's not how you were supposed to say it," and it's got me in trouble. And you're like, "Okay, I didn't realize that it was that big of a fucking deal." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm 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 guilty of it too. You know, I I partner with with all my bands. I, I have some sort of partner in it, um, whether it's technically a day to day manager or or someone who does the, the majority of the work. I've just learned to just call everyone a partner on the band because Fair then enough. I'm never in trouble. You know, I never want someone <laughs> to like, come out and be, dude, like you kind of made you sound like I was just this. So, it, and that's how, and when I was brought up, I was always referred to as a partner. Even when I was like, just the dude booking flights and doing budgets, my, you know, my boss at the time would just be like, Oh, it's my partner on the band. So when I would get introduced to like the bigger people in the world, I, I wasn't looked at as, just a guy that like books lights, you know, because once you're kind of looked at as a quote unquote day to day or any kind of like assistant vibe, right. it's pretty hard to come back from that. Even if it's been like, dude, it's been 15 years. I'm not just like this day to day guy anymore. So when I introduce <laughs> everyone's like, this is my partner, this is my partner, and like make it very clear that they're not just somebody who like helps me with the band, even if technically that's their role. That's just not how I want anyone viewed. Fair enough. Well, I guess I'm going to keep that in, and uh, this will be just a great introduction. Uh, it's been a long time coming that I've wanted to have you on this podcast, but we are talking to Nick Grimaldi, a.k.a. Biggie, uh, partner, whatever, of uh, Good Fight Entertainment, uh, also manager, band manager for bands that you might know, Every Time I Die, Circus Survive, BT Bam, uh, Knock Loose, uh, for some of the younger kids that may be listening to this. And uh, first of all, thanks for coming on. I know you are insanely busy between running a successful business uh, and jujitsu and podcasting and somewhere squeezing in a family life as well. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I like to I like to say very, very, very busy. It just makes my, uh, I don't know, what is, what's that quote about idle hands? But I don't I don't like sitting around. So I uh, I try to fit in the fitness and the family and all that jazz and make sure all the band's careers are still going up along the way. You know, kind of speaking, you know, to just staying busy, I know, you know, listening to a couple of the podcasts and so forth that you've done over the years, you know, you kind of talked about how you were always like a good student and so forth, but something I've, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've not really heard you say this, but like, I understand you were more goal-oriented just so you could kind of fuck off, or what I have kind of referred to, because I do this too, and I call it effective laziness. Like, I get all my work done ahead of time so I can be lazy. And... (laughs) It kind of has made me wonder, you know, were you always a very goal-oriented person growing up? Well, in my early years, I was I was very much just obsessed with skateboarding. Um, so that's kind of, whether I knew it or not, like, that's just a bunch of little goals. You know, like learning new tricks and, and all that jazz is just a bunch of little goals to try to understand and meet and work towards, you know. And then later in life, yeah, like, not to overuse the term hustler, but I was I was very much 
always trying on to, trying to scam this or hustle that or on to the next. Like I, I was, I was very busy from, from the get go, whether I was like still, whether I was touring while still in college, you know, I toured and went to college the whole time, the whole time I was on in college, I would tour the whole summer and winter break and spring break. Cause I was going to school with my friends in the bands, like throw down Nathan visions. Like we would literally plan touring around our stupid college schedules, even though, none of us really had a plan with college. It was just kind of like a few of us had to be in college to make sure our parents didn't hate us, you know? So even while in school doing the college thing, I was, I was touring. And then while I was on tour, I would, you know, it was not like I was making money at first on tour. So I was trying to figure out ways to like make a street edge t-shirt and sell it while I was on the road or, or just always trying to figure out a way to make a buck to not have a normal job. I've really only had, one normal job my whole life and it was when I worked at the mall for six months when I was like 19. So there's always been some sort of hustle in, in, in my game pretty, uh, pretty early on. What exactly did you go, were you going to school for? I mean, I know, I think I heard that you had graduated, but like just kind of going back after the fact and graduating. Yeah. So it all, it all comes back to touring really. My mom, who I was very close with a single mom, um, she and I did really really good in school when I was when I was young and at 18 I had no idea what I quote unquote wanted to be or anything like that when it came time to like pick a major or anything and so my mom's rule was she's like you can do whatever you want you can not have a curfew you can not pay rent you can go on tour when your bands are inviting you out as long as you're in college so that was like my way my hustle I'm like okay well if I don't have to like pay rent or anything and all i gotta do is go to school i bet i can figure out a way to do this so long story short we just started going to like the community college around here and fulfilling general aa requirements with still no idea what we wanted to do for two years while touring and going to school and then when it came time of like hey you had your aa you really gotta like pick a major and like figure out what you're gonna do <laughs> uh my my good friend dave peters from throwdown literally just looked at the like uh curriculums and said okay well, with what we've taken for our aa the most boxes checked over for your major is communications like we can transfer over the most classes we already have into communications that's, that's what we did we went into communications just because we had that we were furthest along we, we were like okay well then all we need is like two solid years of college at the state level and we're done and with communications so there's never a, a, a time where i wanted to get into like public relations which is where my emphasis in communications is but it was getting it was getting me the college degree which was allowing me to live rent free at my mom's house while i was touring you know right no it's kind of funny because i wasn't sure if at any point given the fact and i know like so early on you're kind of doing in nothing taken away from what you're you've done but i'm just saying at that point you're probably doing kind of like bullshit tours sort of and like the responsibilities on you as oh, a yeah. young person are not as much as like like my wife and i were just talking the other day god i wish i was fucking like 21 22 again when i like i was when i would sweat about having to pay like a total of like maybe $600 for all of my bills. <laughs> and you're like, totally. now that's like my car payment and not even a quarter of my rent. And then I still have more money I have to come up with for, for bills and shit. So, you know, just kind of thinking back to that, that era of being young. But with that being said, I didn't know if maybe at some point you were kind of like, you know, maybe I should kind of go into like business or I should learn, you know, business classes and so forth and try to have that help what I'm kind of doing now. If you, I didn't know if you had the foresight to kind of see that far ahead. No, that was all accidental. You know, like we, you know, mentioning bills and all that jazz, like the secret of 
of me never falling behind financially because like I said, I had no rent to pay. And so while I was touring heavily, just living at home, I, you know, it's gone eight, nine months a year when I was at my busiest, I got to just pocket all the money I made, you know? So I started with the savings uh, and, and in terms of business, I just learned it on the road. You know, we, there was never a time where I was going to be the tour manager. I was just a guy who sold t-shirts and as bands got bigger and more cooks got in the kitchen that needed the band, whether it was a publicist or a label or whatever, I just dealt with them. Uh, and I was lucky that I had my friends willing to let me uh, learn along the way. You know, <laughs> they were learning, we were learning, uh, they were learning, I was learning. So we were just kind of learning together and it turned into being like quasi legit, you know, going on tour internationally with, tons of bands for 10 years until I decided to stop touring. Two things to that, as you're kind of working your way up in the ranks of, you know, in this, this band world, do you have a memory of where, I guess maybe your lack of experience or everyone's lack of experience caused a real shit situation that you kind of had to work your way out of? There's a million. Um, a, a, a big one that's still, still something I'm kind of dealing with. We used to not understand the gravity of going into Canada we would just like, you know, we're just kids like, yeah, let's go. Who cares? Not understanding when you go to the border, it's like serious business. And like, they're trying to figure out ways to not let you in. A lot of the times being like eight smelly, stinky tattooed guys in a van crossing the border at 2am with not the correct paperwork, you know, just, just inexperience in that level. And, and there were times where we would have too much money on us. And, and that's not like a Titanic amount of money. It's just after a certain amount, you have to like claim it. We would, not claim it and if, to them if you don't claim it on the you know up front it seems like you're lying and we've been kicked out of canada i'm personally still banned from canada from legal problems <laughs> and, and <laughs> trying to go like and not understanding that if i go okay well they've told me no in buffalo i'm just gonna drive around to detroit and try to get in there and have it be like hey dumb dumb like we saw you try to get in buffalo you still can't cross here and they'll be like, okay, well, I'm just going to fly in then. I would fly and land and have them get to customs and be like, hey, you're an idiot. You're banned from this country now from trying to get in over and over and over. And I had to send the marshal and get flown back. Like, it, it's the amount of problems and uh, naivety that we experience is, it's, it's pretty remarkable that nobody got seriously hurt or, uh, you know, put in jail for a lengthy period of time. I, I technically don't think I am anymore because after 10 years of any like arrest situation, I, I believe you're rehabilitated, quote unquote. Uh, I'm actually looking into that now, but for the, the entirety of my touring career, I couldn't go. I went to Canada one time uh, on a big, like Alexis on fire. Every time I die, like cross country, huge tour. That was amazing. But besides that I was banned and I would, depending on where it was, if we were crossing the Buffalo, I was in Buffalo for a few days or Detroit or Seattle. I like have people that would let me stay in those respective cities while the band went in without a tour manager. And then they would pick me up on the way out. It was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so a lot of my work history uh, deals with either food or retail management. So dealing with a lot of different kinds of personalities, trying to find, you know, scheduling the right people at the right times, you know, identifying who is more valuable where to me and so forth. And I feel like some of those things definitely obviously apply to what you do because you have to be uh, good at people reading and all that kind of stuff. Something, though, that in kind of preparing for this interview that I was kind of thinking of, and I think it was just because I just saw these guys on this, the Disruptor uh, a couple of days ago, thinking about, you know, seeing Circus Survive and, and the things that Anthony Green was going through uh, over the last 
or a couple of years ago at this point. I'm not really going to necessarily get into it. It does make me wonder when you're going through something like that, because something that I found commendable with your story that you've told numerous times is how you are friends with almost every single person that you have on your roster. It's not a business thing per se. It's more of a, these are my friends and you know we're all just kind of happy and lucky to be here. And I know that Circus of I was kind of a band that, you know, wasn't necessarily in that fold, but has become such. And so in light of all of that, it does kind of make me wonder if the successes that the band has had now recently, in light of those things, kind of makes you, makes those successes even bigger because of everything that, you know, it took to get there. And then adversely, it makes me wonder, like, when you go through something like that, how tough is it to kind of compartmentalize business and, and personal relationships at that point. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the ultimate blessing and a curse working with your friends. You know, it's the coolest thing in the world. 98% of the time, but shit goes wrong. I mean, this, the, the world of band management, it's insane. It's a traveling circus. There's a billion things to keep track of and, and plan for and anticipate. And, you know, things go wrong. I fuck up and band members fuck up and my staff fucks up and labels fuck up. And also all those people I just mentioned are all friends. You know, it's not like I'm not, I'm, I'm besides the bands, like I've nine times out of 10, they're signed to a label that I'm friends with nine, 10 times out of 10, they're booked by an agent that I'm friends with, like actual friends, not just like, Hey, you're a cool person that we happen to work with. Like someone I hang out with outside of work. So when the label fucks up or when the agent fucks up or when I fuck up or when my staff fucks up, it's just like, ugh, like, you have to have the uncomfortable work fight and it's with your friend. So it sucks when it happens or, you know, God forbid you quit a band or get fired. Like it's, it's very rough or fire an agent or leave a label. Like it's, it's brutal. Um, so on that front, it's, you know, that's, that's the bummer 2%. And the other side, it's amazing. Otherwise it's not just when I see any of my bands having a huge show, I'm not like, cool, you made money. I'm just like, dude, here are my friends that are passionate about what they're doing, leaving their families, devoting their whole life to this. And thousands of people are caring. That is like the best feeling in the world. And it's not the money. It's like seeing your friends succeed, you know, and I've gotten so close with some of these bands and band members that I, I take it extremely personally when something doesn't go right or when it does go well and not like in a credit way, I don't need the credit. It just makes me happy. When I was at a show last night, Stick your guns and terror that sold out an 800 cap room in LA, which isn't the biggest thing in the world, but it's like a bunch of hardcore bands selling out a room in 2019. It just makes me feel great to be, to have any, you know, any involvement in all those good vibe bands from, from big to small. It just makes me really happy. And at this point in my life and career, that's what gets me stoked. I get way more stoked off accomplishments for the bands or, for my other managers or, or whatever it is than like back when I started just like worrying about like the money and like the, the like perception of the band, you know, it's more like the personal accomplishments, whether it's from me, my staff, the bands, if that makes sense. And I don't even know if I answered your question, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, you did. I mean, it was just kind of one of those things, like, I guess for me, um, I guess to, to kind of maybe, give an example of kind of what I was trying to go for with like the, the Anthony green thing, I guess. So like, I remember getting this person, they were coming in for like, we were starting to open this restaurant. Um, we needed to hire people, but like, we just weren't getting people like, cause they're all college kids and they don't give a shit and their availability sucks. So I had this one dude and like my owners were like, this dude just got out of jail. Like, hell no, you're not hiring him. 
And I was like, but I feel like this is the guy that's like, he, he walks here every day. He lives like five miles away. He walks here every day asking like, you know, do you need help? Like whatever. Like I'm here. Like he's showing up more than people who already have a job are. And I was like, and I feel like this is just the person that like, you just need to give them that opportunity again. And this dude's going to kill it because like he wants to prove that he like, isn't his mistake. And the dude did. And he was like a fucking all-star. Like it was awesome for me. And unfortunately we just couldn't give him the hours that he needed. So like I walked over to like next door and got him a, a job that had more hours next door. And like, he quickly became like a manager over there and so forth. But it was one of those things that because of sort of the, the label, the stigma that I guess he kind of had attached to him that like people weren't, didn't want to give him the opportunity. And so therefore it just kind of, I was thinking about that and kind of thinking about like, you know, when kind of working, I guess Circus Survive as an entity doesn't necessarily have that stigma, but obviously Anthony has, has had problems in the past and it makes me wonder, like, does that make you trepidatious in working with them? But then as a result where maybe other people were like, ah, you know, maybe don't, don't, don't work with them. Where when you like, I saw like a post you made a while back where you guys played Red Rocks and it's like, does that success because you took the gamble on the person and, and the successes of that, does it feel better? Because it's like, I, I saw something in this person that nobody else really wanted to or didn't believe was going to pay off the way I knew it would. And so, therefore, it's it's more rewarding at that point. Right. And um, I don't know if that makes with, any sense what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, with Circa, it's, it's, it's not like it, – it's interesting because I came in right as, as Anthony got clean. Like, that was, that, was, that was part of, I think, why it all happened. He was like kind of on like a fresh start kick. You know, it was like new management, new label your booking agent, it all, it all kind of like clean slated for him. So to, honestly, opposite, I think they, if anything, took a risk on me. I mean, they're, they're a pretty damn sizable band. You know, they're my biggest band. And I'm, I'm not the guy that like has enough power to say like, oh, you guys want this huge festival? Let me just call my friend. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, <laughs> I do great by my bands and like with my network, I, I get by, but I'm not the biggest guy out there. They could have found a bigger manager. I think, I think it was more like a, a vibe thing that he felt from the start and, and in terms of like his stigma he's the he's the reason i guess how am i, how am I gonna put it like he's he's the most infectious person i've ever met in terms of like if you sit in a room with him and hear what he has to say it's pretty hard not to buy into it you know not that he's selling a bad bill of goods but if if anything if i was trepidation which i wasn't i was like dead set on trying to get the band regard like before even understanding how much I would like them personally. Uh, he could sell anything to anyone. He's a, he's, he's very good and passionate. It just bleeds through. Like he cares so much about everything, whether it's his, you know, bandmates, music, family. It's just, it's just very obvious when you can tell someone who's people are in it for different reasons. Some people just want to create whatever. And some people want to make money or whatever and all those are fine and then there's some people that that have to do it he has to do this he will never stop creating if anything we have to throttle him for playing too much writing too much wanting to do too much just because he has so much going on i mean i, I think he's just an excess dude you know when he when he fell down the the spell he went down with you know his personal life it was bad because he goes hard on everything I mean, the fucker has four kids if he's doing it he's doing it he's doing it a lot uh, so, yeah, he's a he's a he's he's a interesting person to work for, and extremely infectious is like the easiest way I can explain it. Anyone that works for or with him, 
you kind of just want to kill it for him because a he's super appreciative probably the more so than any client i have i'll get the random like hey so you know i know she's crazy and i really appreciate what you're doing simple little things like that don't happen from a lot of people and he does it all the time so he's very appreciative and just makes you want to work hard for him across the board there's always just like a little kind of pepping step you know not that i don't work hard for every everyone i work for i like to think but when you get him on the phone and he starts firing you up there just seems to be like a ah! moment where you just want to like make sure you get everything he wants done done absolutely just uh like i said something i was kind of thinking about in conjunction to like my management experiences and so forth and just kind of thinking about that you know kind of looking at your roster i mean you you have I'll call him a legacy act between, you know, Terror and Every Time I Die and so forth. But then you also have, like, a younger band like Knock Loose and, and dealing with a lot of the labels and, and people that you do and how long you've kind of done a career that's spanned across multiple positions. It's kind of made me wonder if, if anyone's ever approached you to do, like, A&R work ever. Um, not, not necessarily. Um, I've always, I've always told everyone how, like, linear my brain is in terms of not I'm never the guy that's like, hey, I saw this band play first and they're going to be the next big thing. I've been fortunate enough to have people come and tell me that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I've had people say, like, hey, this band's going to be this or these guys just lost a manager. And I know you'd be perfect for it. So I think I excel on the more, you know, planning and or I know I excel on the more planning and business side. Um, and when I when I hear like, people that I think are real A&R people go and like talk about that. It's just, it's just another, like, it's like watching a drummer go crazy. It's like, I couldn't play the drums. Just like, I can't hear what you're hearing in these songs as it is right now. And I think that's important for anyone in the world to know their strengths. And like, ideally maybe as a manager, I would be that guy that could sit in the, sit behind the desk and say like, Hey, uh, this, we got to come back to the course for this and that, you know, but that's not me. I trust in the band. I trust in the engineers. I believe if you hire someone, they're better at it than what you do or better at it than you are at, you know? So I stick to my strengths and hire out for my weaknesses. And that goes from, from hiring a social media person to hiring, you know, someone to write the song to hiring a label to put out the record. And it's, that's just not my strong point, nor what I like necessarily enjoy. Like I love getting a new record, but I love it when it's like, Hey, here are the demos, and then yeah, like here's some demos, and I'm like, cool, like I can I can hear the songs. It's not like I don't understand music; it's great, but I can't wait to hear the finished product, you know. And as uh, the 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 deepest I get onto that is, you know, having a say in the singles, essentially. You, you know, like I, I made a big push, you know, mentioned every time I die, their, their last song on the new record, Map Change, um, is my favorite song they've ever done, and it's a it's kind of a different song for them. And it wasn't being discussed discussed initially as being like a quote unquote single. And I was one being like, dude, this is this song is like too good to just have be on the end of the record. And we ended up, you know, making a video for it that was a phenomenal video. And now it's like it's kind of their hit. They play it last at the shows, and it's this like big thing. And it's not because I said, hey, we need a video for that. But that's about as big as I, as deep as I'll go. If I'm if I'm seeing like a red flag, like hey, this song is like really 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 good, and we aren't doing enough with it. I think we should. That's like as, about as like far into that process I'll go. I'd rather like have the bands and labels say, these are the strong songs we see. And I, most of the time I just go, yeah, you're right. But every once in a while I got to say, Hey, I think this, you know, that's an example that came to my head where like I get in the mix on like that front more so than, than I usually do. 
it's really been interesting to see just kind of touching on map change, like just seeing how that's really just sparked. Cause I would say like, you would almost say like, it was like the more, I guess of that, that record of the low teens, but it was weird because it's like when seeing them as much as I have, I remember them like playing more kind of in the beginning, in the middle, then it was kind of their closer. And I was like, Oh, that that's a great closer. Like that'll be the, probably be the closer for like the rest of their tenure. And then here we are a record later and I was like, Nope, it's map change. And now it's like, I don't even know. I don't even know if you need more in the set anymore because it's like, you have that song now that like does that for them. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're, they're a funny one. Every time I get in, every time I record, I'm like, all right, this is for sure the best one and they can't top it. And they do <laughs> every, every time I say that. And it's not just I'm a manager, but whatever. I'm a fan that like evolves with them. But yeah, I'm in that spot again now where I'm just like, I don't know if they're topping that change, but we'll see. I bet they do. They proved me wrong a bunch of times. <laughs> Well, it's like I was just talking with, uh, we just dropped our episode with Will Putney the other day and was talking about how, like, between him and Knock Loose, like, two of your your clients on your roster, um, about how, like, he just seems to have this knack for, help, like, putting out records with bands that give them stupidly long touring cycles. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, uh, we, I don't want to say fell victim, but got in the habit of putting out a record every couple of years with Every Time I Die. And then on this one, we're just like, let's not, let's just see what happens you know we don't necessarily need to fans aren't clamoring for full albums anyway at most of the time um you know a band from the 90s it's hard to it's hard to get them off of their past like that but with this one we just sat back and seen what happens and it's been amazing we, we just we just did our biggest tour we've ever done both headlining and as a support band you know a couple years into the cycle and we're still the album's not written you know we don't have we don't have studio time books so We'll see how long we run it for, but I would assume, you know, getting about that time. But for us, we were we were two years go, you know, turn them out and go. We would do the even warp tours, uh, release a new record on it, and that was our thing, you know. And then warp tour went away, and we're kind of like, maybe we just pop the brakes then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you kind of hit on something earlier that I I actually had written down. I don't know how we, I mean, especially with Andy being uh, a close friend of yours, uh, how often you follow wrestling or how closely you follow it at all. I used to be obsessed with it when I was a kid, like WWF days, but I, I've fallen off major, majorly. My my only thing I watch now are basically what Andy posts and what Brody King posts, just because those are my friends, you know? <laughs> okay, right. But I was going to say, what's interesting to me right now is like the Indies are thriving in a way that we've never really seen, uh, especially with you know the WWE's long tenured reign over everything. But you know, I kind of was thinking about how you know this we're about a week removed now from the Ghost Inside playing to like what ten thousand people uh, yeah. for their for their own show. Have Heart reunited, uh, played in front of thousands of people. Every time I die, sold out a three thousand cap room a year in advance with only their name attached to it. We're in this yeah. interesting phase where the underground, I'll just say hardcore and metal or whatever, but is kind of having this big resurgence. Like, look at Slayer on this, what, seventh leg of a, <laughs> of a farewell tour and, like, everything, like, playing sheds and so forth. And it's like, it just seems like we're having this this moment right now for heavy music. Kind of makes me want to know, like, does it does it feel like that to you when you're kind of looking at everything from your perspective? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. You know, it doesn't necessarily change anything in terms of how I manage and plan for bands. I still, that, that picture you painted is wonderful and it's great, but there's also the other side of the coin where there's like a lot of bands touring too much 
and underperforming because they, you know, they got to live off the band and there's only so many times you can go around uh, on an album and all that. So while that exists and, and for sure when like the stars align um, with reunions and, and comeback shows and festivals and all that jazz, it's, it's amazing. But a lot of the time um, it's not like that, <laughs> you know? So on one hand, I, I think heavy music is in like this wonderful place. Uh, I'm watching it, you know, across the board. Uh, I still don't try to get too, too ahead of myself and, and remember what kind of causes bubbles to burst with over touring and tr- trying to sleep promoters and, and labels with overpayments and all that jazz and just try to do what I do and, and be fair and make strategic choices and keep the bands going along. So since we like to to have various people and I like to have people that are more behind the scenes in case people stumble across this and maybe they're like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, I can't play an instrument. I can't sing. I can't do dick. But like maybe I can get into something I'm passionate about in the music industry and here are ancillary avenues. So with all that being said, as someone who has exactly done those things to be where you are now, what is something that you feel has set yourself apart from everybody else that maybe had the opportunity, the same opportunities you did, but didn't, wasn't able to capitalize on them? Um, I don't know. I mean, my, my opportunities, it, I don't, I haven't met a ton of people that like had these opportunities. I got, I was, a, I was the circumstance of right place, right time. A lot of the time. And I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a believer of like lucky per se. And I believe that like, I put myself in a position to capitalize when those opportunities come up and, you know, make sure that when I, when the phone rings, I'm there and it, it, literally and figuratively. But, uh, I don't know. A ton of people have the same, the same come up. I do of like straight up 10, 10 years of touring, not in a band and then move straight into artist managed artist management. Um, but overall, I just think my strong suit, like I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the best manager in the world. I'm, dude, I'm not the best manager at good fight in my opinion, <laughs> straight up, you know, and I, I'm, I'm a very good at communication. Uh, I'm a generally positive person that doesn't get mad and doesn't, you know, buckle under pressure at all. I can handle a lot of pressure. And I just think in the long run, that's what most people want to be around. You know, if somebody wants the guy that flies off the handle because like their name's not big enough on the marquee, like that's just not me. And I've cultivated this, roster uh you know clientele whatever employees slash partners everything that understand that and vibe with that as well um so you know as ironic as it is how much i always joke about never needing my college degree i think communication and my general personality is my strong suit 100 percent. you know i'm every day i'm hiring or learning or trying to figure out like what's the new new thing that i don't know how to do as well as someone else um but I can always talk, converse, strategize with the best of them, you know, and so much of this, especially as bands get older, is exactly that, you know, massaging everybody's needs, five different people in a band with five, sometimes five different agendas and five different needs financially or whatever. Like it's hard to get everybody on the same page to do what they want to do. And it takes talking to certain people a certain way, um, even if it just means hearing them out before we decide what we're ultimately going to decide, you know, that some people just want to be heard. And it just, I just think communication is, is 
the most paramount thing in life in general, whether it's your with your wife or your clients or your bands or your kids, like it's all about communication. And I'm really good at that. That's one thing like I can confidently say. So I think for me, my strong suit is communication and, and that bleeds over with the success in management, you know, other business stuff. Uh, man, you just reminded me of uh, something else I've been hitting on quite a bit on the show, which is just uh, finding balance between personal life and, and work life, especially with your spouse. But I mean, that's that's probably a whole nother 45 minutes right there easily. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. But it's it's crucial, man. It, it is so crucial. I, I've I've been on both sides of it where I wasn't working hard enough. and I've been on the other side where I was working way too much. And it's the balance and finding the balance. And it's just all it really is is understanding how much time there is and what, what gets cut out, you know, for me, like television just got cut out. You know, I realized if I want to work out a couple hours a day and be with my kids a few hours a day and be with my wife, you know, somewhere in there. And then obviously working at kind of all hours of the day, at least being available, you know, I don't want to paint the picture. Like I just sit in front of my computer all the time, but if you can ask any of my band members if I, if they call, I answer. It does not matter the hour. And sometimes, you know, I get the look from the wife of like, it's 630 and we're feeding the kids. Like, what's going on? It's like, oh, this is the downside of it for you, you know, but um, not that she cares. She gets it. She's an entrepreneur herself. But uh, to me, you cut out the stuff that doesn't matter. And unfortunately, the thing that people don't like to hear a lot of TV and video games do not matter. So if you don't have time for working out, if you don't have time to uh, finish your work, if you don't have time to, you know, do whatever it is everyone claims they don't have time for, look at the two, three, four, five, who knows, hours a day, you're looking at a TV screen, and you can probably find some time. Right, absolutely. Um, last question before I have you plug your socials and so forth is, uh, you know, I know obviously your career has probably spurned a lot of memories, but what is something that as a result of your career is like kind of like a, holy shit, I can't believe this happened as a result of, you know, this this life I've chose for myself? Oh my God, there's so many. I mean, <laughs> when when I bought my first house, I bought I bought it with the intention of like, okay, I can afford this. And if I ever lose everything, I can, uh, you know, maintain my life in Orange County. And since then, I've moved three times to like nicer and what I what I consider dream homes. So I mean, it happens all the time. But just the general life in 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 every way, you know, it, it's it's pretty it's 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 something I'm still not used to and, and don't take for granted. You know, I mean, I I live in my dream neighborhood with you know a family that I, I love and appreciate very much. Working for my best friends working with my best friends in music. It's like, that's, that's all I did my whole life. I would just go to shows and every show that was around Orange County, LA, IE down here in, in SoCal. Like the fact that I get to work in this and be successful and, uh, you know, just wake up happy and wake up doing what I love. Uh, not to say it's not stressful not to say some days I want to kill myself with, with the amount of work I'm doing, but, uh, yeah, there, there's just too many, too many things to like be grateful for. But overall, it's just the general lifestyle. I, I get to live what I want, live where I want, doing what I want with those who I love. So, yeah, I don't know if that's specific enough. <laughs> no, I think it is. I mean, the fact that you put in there your your dream home several times over, I think, uh, speaks to the fact that you know it is right there. You were able to accomplish your dream as it even evolved uh, several times. Yeah, I never, I never thought I'd buy a house, <laughs> let alone you know that. <laughs> you know, the one we have now in Newport beach. So 
pretty pretty thankful and try to try to maintain grounded in that and understanding that like you know granted it was a lot of hard work but at the end of the day like i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist i'm not saving the world you know we're managing the careers of artists uh and we've done all right for ourselves right and where can everyone find you i am at biggie xxx on instagram that's pretty much where i hang out i'm on facebook somewhere but i don't i don't really mess with that all that much but you can find me at biggie xxx good fight management on instagram um yeah thanks for having me on it's awesome yeah when can we get that uh when can we expect that new 18 visions record oh boy they're ripping <laughs> the renting tunes yeah. <laughs> awesome well thank you very much and uh enjoy the rest of your evening or actually your afternoon you, it's man. my evening <laughs> So that was my conversation with Biggie of Good Fight Entertainment, and uh, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, I think I kind of put a little bit of expectation, more expectation, on what I thought that was going to be, and I was a little disappointed in myself. I I didn't think I really pulled out a great conversation with him, and then when I went back to edit it and kind of get it all squared away for Dan to check out, I kind of did realize that there was actually quite a bit, and I, I... I guess the problem for me, and Dan, I bet you you experience this quite a bit with listening to the variety of podcasts you do, is that you're so used to hearing other podcasts in preparation for just in pleasure of the podcast you enjoy, but also in preparation maybe for an interview you're about to do, that like when you hear something that has been said on another show or you don't hear like the person constantly like laughing like they have been with friends that have been they've had for like 20 years you feel a bit of disappointment like ah i guess i I failed i didn't do that good it's kind of funny because like i was talking to and i mean i already put this on instagram so fuck it here's a spoiler not really our 200th episode is going to be chris dudley from under oath and uh doc coyle done done raised the bar for me on that one because like i knew that we had this and then all of a sudden doc coyle was like hey i did a conversation with chris dudley uh from under oath and blah 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 and it was like an hour and a half two hours i was like Oh, fuck man that was so good like i got so much cool information out of that that i didn't know before and god damn it doc actually i've been making the joke i need to get a, a sticker made for doc this is a foil by coil <laughs> that'd be pretty funny but uh but no like i ended up talking with uh with chris uh the other day and you know we i thought i was gonna get about 20 minutes with him and we ended up talking for about a little, just under an hour and i really walked away feeling like i I had a really good conversation that covered a lot of different topics. And it was funny because, like, I had just got done editing this conversation for Dan to listen to. So this was kind of really fresh in my mind. And so it's kind of funny how sometimes, like, the perception in the moment is that, like, maybe something isn't as good as you think it is. And then you get to step back for a little bit and then kind of really appreciate, like, the mad, like, some of the cool things that were actually discussed in this in the moment after the fact. Yeah, I think it turned out better than you were giving it credit for uh, before you had gone back and listened to it. And I I definitely, to to go back to kind of what you were saying earlier, I definitely always feel like I failed if we're not like if we don't seem like best friends at the end of the uh, conversation, <laughs> which is ridiculous, right? You're talking to somebody that you don't know on the phone, like you know how does that uh, how does that translate? I think you get a little bit better uh, with the in person interviews. I think you know people are able to kind of get a vibe for you and stuff like that. But you know, I just try not to worry about it too much as long as I've got good information coming out. And that's the thing too that I think is kind of hard is you know. Like I said, we are kind of connoisseurs of this this medium, and so therefore it's a little bit harder when you compare it unjustly to other shows. I mean, I don't know how many times like <laughs> I would hit up Sumi and I'd be like, your interview is better. <laughs> and it kind of sucks to say that because you're like, I want mine to be the best. I want someone to come to me and be like, oh, damn, man, you killed the game on that. 
Well, yeah, you want to be the very best, like no one ever was. I know that's my competitive streak in me, though. So, like, I'm always just like, so and so did better. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, I kind of try not to worry about that kind of stuff anymore. I just kind of try to do the best that I can and hope that it uh, hope that it resonates with other people. Yeah, and kind of speaking of resonating too, and something I kind of had wished you were around for. I don't even know if we've talked about this since you know the, I sent you the episode uh, as the conversation itself. But you know, talking about where the state of 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 hardcore and metal is, you know, like at the time we had recorded this, you know, the Ghost Inside show had just happened, and and uh, you know, Have Heart had just reunited, and and you know, played to like thousands and thousands of kids and so forth. And I know we kind of had talked about the Ghost Inside show ourselves on a couple episodes ago, but I, you know, to kind of get an insider's perspective of how they feel about the industry. And like, does it seem like it's kind of on an upward swing? And it was kind of interesting for Biggie to be like, I feel like, I mean, yes, but like, that's a, those are very like small examples. There's so many other bands and so many other territories and so many other things at play. So it's hard to say like, Oh, absolutely. The ghost inside selling out, you know, a show where there was like probably at least 10,000 people there just to see them that's an anomaly it's not a whole tour doing 10,000 people a night uh, yeah i think it is totally an anomaly i i agree with him because i think hardcore and metal now is kind of becoming an underground thing again there's definitely i mean obviously there's still going to be huge bands like your kill switch engage or you know bands that have kind of made their way into the collective persona but they've done that they, they've kind of done that when the uh when the genres were ripe for the picking as far as popularity goes and so i think when we're engulfed in it all the time like we always are it seems like it's very very big but i have i have kind of noticed perceptions changing uh, especially amongst young people about what they look for uh, as far as music goes and a lot of the time it's not heavy it's not metal it's not hardcore some of us are kind of are kind of uh from that generation where that's just what we've always listened to so we kind of expect it to always be a viable thing. And uh, I do see it in a lot of cases going underground, you know, like, I mean, I went and saw, I went and saw Zayo just a couple weeks ago and with Zayo being largely credited as one of the pioneer bands, you were still only playing to like three, 400 people, you know, and I granted they're not a, they're not a tour machine band or anything like that, but it maybe if they were, they'd have bigger turnouts. But I think, uh, I think the reality of it is, is that, you know, most of the people there were my age. I think that's, I think that's kind of a, an interesting thing. Like, I don't even actually know. I know I didn't say anything. So, I had this like weird epiphany the other day while at the the, the to do the interview with uh, Chris Munderoth, but they're on tour with Corn and Allison Chains. And I was telling a friend that I had with me, I go, this last month, if I told you who I saw recently, you would probably be like, what year is it? Because in the last month, I've seen Static X and Dope on tour together. I went and saw Nonpoint, and then now here I am seeing Corn, And it's like, and I'm going to see Papa Roach in a week. And it's like, what year is it? Well, I, I think that anyway, just this past week especially, because everybody's like, holy shit, a new tool. Holy shit, new Slipknot. Like, it's, uh, and I understand, because, like, those bands obviously have very rabid fan bases, but I was I was actually a little surprised of, uh, about all of the recent, like, oh my god, Tool's coming out with a new album, and it's going to change music and all that stuff or whatever. And I can't help but be that fucking guy that's <laughs> like, dude, there's already been, like, at least 30 or 40 amazing releases this year. But you're, all, all you care about is the band that, hasn't put out an album in like 10 or 12 years or some shit like 
I get it, like because I mean, obviously, I, I I wait around for bands to put records out, or oh, there's so. older, the, yeah, there's yeah, there's always well, they're working on a new record right now, so whatever. Uh, but I, I think it's I think it's very indicative of that, like a lot of the bands that we think are great may not necessarily be considered so until much later. Or or some or in certain cases like whenever they either reunite or they break up, it's one of those like when when a lot of these bands broke up or went on a hiatus, it's like oh you didn't realize how good you had it till it was gone. I think that was the weird thing. I wasn't going to really touch on this until we did the Under Oath episode, but I'll touch on it now just because I think it, it's something that's been sticking with me the last couple of days. Is when talking with Chris, we we kind of and I didn't necessarily articulate this that well. I don't think, and I don't think I really had the full realization until I was watching the show. But it's like that tour is such a an interesting dichotomy of of the last like almost thirty to forty years of music. You have Alice in Chains who came out in the late late eighties, early nineties, along with the quote unquote grunge scene. Their singer dies, they go away. Then they come back, stronger than ever. You have Korn, who comes out, basically are pioneers of the quote unquote new metal scene, whether you're a Roach Coach fan or not. Uh will determine how you feel about the, at least the first record. Um, I'm a Roach Coach fan. They're just straight up wrong about that first record. I agree. So it's one of those things where you look at what Korn's done, and then obviously they had their their falling outs with uh with Head and and you know David leaving and and all this kind of stuff. And there's kind of this this interesting uh, finding themselves in the the chaos of everything, only to kind of come back stronger than ever. All the you know almost 10 years later. Then you have Underoath, who kind of pick up where, like each band kind of picks up where the other one started leaving off. So it's like by the time Alice in Chains was weaning, Korn picks up, starts a new a new genre. By the time Korn starts to kind of, like in that genre, kind of starts to fall off, here comes Screamo, Metalcore, and Underoath's kind of the, the darlings of the hybrid of the two. Then, you know, they kind of changed their sound and, and the, the scene kind of went away and they broke up. And now you have all these people who I think who really, all these fans who really appreciate what all three of those bands are doing because they realize that at any time this isn't going to exist for various reasons. And then to have a, a, a new band in, in horror opening up, you kind of get that small glimpse into this chaotic, odd ball of all of these genres kind of perfectly encapsulating everything that's presented in the evening, just in this fucking ferocious, like <laughs> energetic set uh, that lasts like pretty much the entire time of you getting into the venue, probably grabbing your beer and or finding a seat. And then it's like, okay, they're done. <laughs> it's definitely a tour that was put together based on potential ticket sales. Oh yeah. Like it really like, each one of those bands has the potential, depending on the city, to save the tour. Yeah, not that not that a, not that Corn and Allison Chains need saving, or even that Under Oath needs saving. It's just it's just the idea that whatever whatever the projections were for those three bands alone combined, somebody sitting back being like, "Oh my god, we did it! We fucking did it!" <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I was gonna say like the show is. I mean, it's a fucking shit. So I mean, it holds thousands. Oh and, yeah, uh, it was packed like i stayed for about half a corn set and like at one point jonathan davis is like look at all you motherfuckers and like i looked around when they like lit up the whole thing and i was like holy shit there are a lot of people here and knowing that it's like once you go over the hill like there's i mean technically people can stand back there but you can't see anything but right it's just one of those where it's like jesus christ like if you would have told me when i saw the band on on the uh 
Untouchables album cycle playing to a half-filled arena with like Puddle of Mud and Dead Sea opening up, that it'd be like, yeah, this band's not going to be around long. And if they are, they're definitely not playing. They're going to be playing clubs. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. Korn kind of went through that. It's interesting with Korn how, you know, whenever they played in St. Louis um, a few years ago, it was right before they'd put out the paradigm shift and had to just rejoin the band. They were playing in clubs. And then they've, they've kind of worked their way back up to being like corn full potential realized, you know, and that's great. I mean, that's that, that, so there, it's kind of fun seeing guys like that, that used to have it all kind of still have to bust ass and work their way back up, you know, to where they're at. I'm definitely going to tell you the guitars on the newer stuff. Holy shit. <laughs> I know. I know. Like they played a, like to really put it in perspective, and then we'll kind of wrap up this episode. Um, they played Twisted Transistor, and the song has now been stuck in my head since I went to the show. And I don't even like that song. But, like, yeah. when you hear it live, like, it's heavier than it is on the record. And then there's, like, another song that they played that I, I didn't recognize, but I know it was, like, a, a somewhat newer song. But it's almost like, do you remember the first time you heard, like, Somebody, Someone, or, like, Falling Away From Me, like, how heavy... I thought they were the heaviest fucking songs I'd ever heard in my life, yeah. Right, and it's like, but in comparison, and there's some songs that are heavy on all the records leading up to that, but it's like, when you got to Issues and you heard, like, really pristine production on the on the record, and you're like, oh my god, this is disgustingly heavy. Like, I was listening to uh, Issues and the song Wake Up, and I was like, dude, these guitars are punishing. And totally. to hear some of the newer stuff top the feeling I had when I still listen to that album now where I'm like, these guitars are stupidly heavy. And then hearing like stuff where it's like, oh, Skrillex, you know, wee-wee-wee-wee noises with corn guitars or whatever. It's like, yeah, there's some of that because they have a keyboardist on stage doing all that shit, but it's like, the guitars and everything are stupidly loud. Like, like I leaned over to my friend and I was like, this is like Meshuggah-esque heavy. And like, I don't think I've ever said that about corn like being a, like that heavy in tone. Well, yeah, I mean, they have always been that way. And, like, when I got into metalcore, you know, after new metal wasn't cool anymore, you know, I definitely was like, oh, yeah, the bands I listen to are so much more brutal or whatever. But it's funny, I was listening to an interview with Micah from O Sleeper, and they were talking about, um, you know, how you start off, start, everybody started off with corn back in the day, and then you find bands that are heavier, and you can see them at smaller clubs, and you might get to meet the band after the show and stuff like that. He, he goes, but then he's like, I, and I, he's like, I forgot all about corn and, and limp biscuit and bands like that and you know he goes but then i i go back and i hear them you know 20 years later at a huge amphitheater and i hear how loud they are and and how the music just breathes and how yeah actually it turns out some of those bands really are the heaviest bands in the world <laughs> absolutely and uh kind of been wrapping up for real um Biggie, uh, well, I mean, like he said in the interview, you can find him, uh, he's most active on Instagram. Find him at BiggieXXX. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Good Fight Management, just simply go to goodfightmgmt.com. Keep up with all the things going on over there. You can actually see uh, Biggie's roster. Uh, really hoping for a new 18 Visions record. Uh, I know I keep seeing James uh, posting studio snippets, so I'm hoping that's what it is. And Because, uh, god damn, that last record was so good. And... Uh, I, I mean, I guess it's time for a new Eats record. I, I keep seeing Jordan posting videos of him just riffing away. And, I mean, even his, like, stuff that he probably is like, no, that was that was just practice. I'm just fucking around. It's still, like, people would probably pay, like, good money for those riffs. <laughs> totally. Sell them. <laughs> Sell them, yeah. New, new revenue, yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah, so follow Biggie there. Uh, big thanks again to uh, Biggie for taking the time to do this out of your just insanely, stupidly busy schedule. And uh, if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And Dan will tell you where he can be found online. Who, me? Well, I I could be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry. I can be found on Instagram starting next week. And uh, I know, right? I'm taking the fucking leap. Old man on Instagram. But uh, I can be found currently on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan, and you can even send me an email if you'd like to at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BrewSpeakPod. Check us out on YouTube if uh, that's a medium you enjoy more. Uh, we do have some uh, in-person interviews. that The video is there, uh, so you can look at the lovely people as we are asking them odd questions. And uh, if you would like to keep up with our show's sponsor, you can find them at TheBeanBastard.com, BeanBastard on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, Patreon. I mean, that's the thing we have. Uh, Patreon, so, yeah. You can give us money. I love yeah, it. Yeah, we have uh, some sweet uh, perks and uh, some, some cool stuff uh, along with those. So check it out at Patreon.com slash BrewSpeakPod. And uh, I don't think I've actually talked about this on the, on the, sh- on the show. I know we uh, have posted on our socials. Um, sporadically, we keep popping into like the top 40 or top 60, top 50 uh, on uh, various podcast charts. And uh, that shit's pretty cool. So um, I, I don't really know how to quantify how that happens. Uh, but uh, if you're listening to this and uh, you like this show and you're sharing it with friends or doing whatever, uh, keep doing that. Um, it's uh, pretty fucking rad to get a notification that your podcast is in not only the top 100, but like the top 50 on anything. Uh, even if it's in Kazakhstan, uh, doesn't matter. I'll take all the top whatever is I can get. And uh, it's really fucking cool. So much appreciated. Uh, if you feel like throwing us a, a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to this podcast, please do. Uh, it means a lot to us. And uh, it's how we continue to grow and have people find us. So for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I'm Dan. We will talk to you next time.